Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. I'm Aaron Cameron. With me, of course, Adam Pawatic, recording here live at the Southwestern Ontario Real Estate Forum. Our guest today is a gentleman named Jason Castellan, who is the CEO and co-founder of Skyline Group of Companies. Jason, thanks for coming on. Nice to have you. Thanks for having me. You are the third Skyline guest we've had on. The first two being an individual named Mike Bonneville. Mm-hmm. So just putting that out there. But you're, as indicated in your title, the co-founder. So we're going to get the core story. Sure. But we've done a bunch of Skyline industrial guys yeah. investigation and conversations okay. before. Yep. Just setting the table. So if you are interested... Go back in the show notes and go back and you can you can you can hear some of the stories about the Skyline Industrial. So we'll probably steer a little bit away from that. Sure, we've had that conversation sure. before. But anyway, thanks for coming on, Jason. Yeah, thanks. And I'll, I'll say that Mike Bonneveld, I've got a picture actually posted in the dressing room of when we played peewee hockey together in Walker, and we're from Walker and small town guys, so we knew each other long before we came back together in the in the fun oh, that's side. That's so yeah, yeah. So we have story. we have got a long history together. So let's get into it then. I, I know that your origin story, I, I've heard versions of it before. I know it's more interesting than most. Maybe we'll spend a little more time than usual kind of going through the original inception, the growth to where you are now. But uh, how did it all start? Yeah, it, it wasn't a plan. We came to university. Marty and I came, my brother, who's a partner and co-founder in the business. We, we moved to Guelph to live with our father, go to University of Guelph, uh, cheap rent. But having not lived with our father for a number of years, it was, uh, we got booted after a semester. And, uh, but, but to our dad's credit, helped us buy our first student rental. Marty and I moved into the basement. We rented out the three rooms upstairs. That worked at the time. You could be cash flow positive, albeit about 25 bucks, so a case of Wildcat of, uh, of uh, beer, of profit every, every month. So we you said, probably thought it was a big win, too, at the yeah, time, right? We, we totally <laughs> did. And we said, well, if we can get one, let's yeah, do another. We do, now yeah, we can do two cases yeah, of beer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, like, I kid you not, that's our business strategy in the 90s <laughs> when we were building out the student rentals. So two cases of beer is better than one case. Well, and then it. we kept going and, and we got up to 52 houses in, in uh, Guelph. So we were running around, fixing them up. We lived in a lot of them while we were fixing them and re- getting them ready and poking little bedrooms in for students and trying to expand the count. And then as we were doing that, the profits started to come. Rates were all were then coming down by that time. But 52 houses had 52 roofs, 52 lawns to cut, 52 furnaces that did not fire up the first cold snap in the fall. Um, all that headaches and stuff that we had to deal with. So we, uh, we moved into apartment. We, we bought an apartment building, which, you know, a 52-unit apartment building has one roof. So how many years, sorry, to cut one, you off, yeah. how many years did it take you to go from, from the first one to 52? That, uh, that's, a, that's a big there's jump, a, yeah. right? Like, yep. It was an overlap. So we, we were actually accumulating those houses all through the 90s. So from 90, late 91, 92, right up till, I think we were still buying houses in around 2001. But by then we had saved up a little bit and bought an apartment building to try that, try that and out. And your brains are going, wait a minute. Now you're doing the calculus of this is well, and, operational nightmare. Well, we, in the apartment building, we weren't handling the call. We had an on-site superintendent who dealt with the call at two in the morning when the pipe always bursts right on a Sunday night. It doesn't always, it doesn't happen in the regular time. So we were doing that as well, but you know, we had to wait a long time to raise that capital for those big assets. So in the meantime, we could chunk off these little student rentals, borrow 12% second mortgage money at the time, but it meant getting the asset as opposed to not getting the asset. So we were, we were chugging along doing that, doing all the heavy lifting along the way. And uh, so that was 
through the 90s. And then in 1999, we had met Jason Ashdown, who's our, our third co-founder and partner in the business. Uh, in 99, we formalized and uh, created Skyline, which is the, the parent company today, the Skyline Group of Companies oversee, oversight that we started formalizing, putting syndicates together. So we were getting friends, family, investors to invest with us for these syndicates. How'd you come up with the name? Oh, we thought we hit the jackpot. We were high-fiving each other, thinking Skyline, what a unique name, The sky, you know, all this kind of stuff. And there is Skyline Chili, Skyline Elevators, Skyline Trucking, Skyline, you name it. And so it was uh, it was just lack of uh, originality. So don't, uh, yeah, <laughs> we're not uh, Well, we're not But it's original. stuck. It's stuck. You haven't yeah, rebranded. Yeah. It, it fits our business. I wonder why Skyline elevators or sky and trucking well, anyways i'm i'm uh, so i think yeah, ours is more appropriate yeah. so i like I, I like it for that but yeah we we just continued to evolve and we started then we learned about the syndication model so the syndication model was where we would buy an asset put together a group of investors buy that asset and then we were we would run is it through like a gplp uh, actually a corporation we did corporation. We, we did a corpse so, so they were the, buying the, shares the single family homes for the students that was all just you and your brother well, at the time yeah and then we had some partners some silent partners uh our dad was in there we carried our dad along so you were kind of learning about yeah. business and mm-hmm. the, all the corporate yeah. mess and taxes as you were kind of going yeah through and we this. were going into the banks at the time and and you know pimply faced and getting you know guys looking down their nose at us and not wanting to lend us commercial quality money because we didn't look the part. If Barry Guinea were here, Barry Guinea's a, an originator at First National. Yep. And he'll, I know I've heard him say it. He's like, hey, those guys, they owe me everything. It wasn't for me. <laughs> yeah. I gave them their first dollar. I, I, Barry, there is some truth to that. Barry, we had a connection and Barry was very helpful in the early days because we couldn't get the respect of, of some of the traditional lenders and, and Barry helped us. And you know, we bought our first 15 unit apartment building, Barry financed it for us. And that was done in a syndicate. So it was good. And, 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 you know, we, I think that was the equity skyline equities. And then we had equities one, two, three, four, five. We just created these syndicates along the way. And Barry helped us in some big ones in some very short time frames. We had FOMO. So we would get an offer and we probably didn't do the proper due diligence at the time, but we, <laughs> but meant, it meant getting the deal and let's yeah, get it yeah, in. Yeah. And Barry was cramming through trying to get it financed yeah. for us. Ready, so, fire, in. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Just to finish the commercial offers now, yeah. so we can still do those types of things. <laughs> before yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I know. Yeah, Barry's been Barry's been great. Maury's been awesome too, and yeah. helping us out in some big big loans as we continue to grow beyond our britches. So, uh, did you help. do you still own those fifty two single family homes? No, ah. they're terrible. Like, <laughs> well, was, was it a celebration of like sell the Selling final them? one? Yeah, yeah, you know, like well, with what real estate's done in the last couple of, couple of uh, years, we could have made a. I'm a huge bank, but I don't know what the, you translated what we sold them for and what we've done with the money since is probably much better. But well, there's probably some land assembly and development it, opportunities that you'd probably missed out on. But I mean, uh, hindsight's yeah, 2020. Yeah, right? but it was great to do that. And we really learned fundamentally how to operate our real estate, how to purchase it. We got better at that, how to, how to operate it, how to finance it, how to deal with disgruntled tenants, how to deal with crooked tenants, how to deal with all the things. I, I could write a book on some of the, the, uh, processes we might have went through to to make sure we got paid our rent but that's an, that's for another off the record story <laughs> yeah. yeah so it was uh it was great though and 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 then converting that into you know we went from those houses 52 houses to the, now this equity model so we these were bigger bigger buildings that we were able to do but now we're equities one two three four five and you were putting multiple assets into one of the one of those organizations yeah, what was the constraints around them 
Well, we were, yeah, there was a 50 shareholder constraint that we had around them. And and so we were basically buying an asset or a couple of assets in a corporation, putting together investors, put it to bed, onto the next one. And so that was working well until we got equities 9, 10, 11, 12. You know, now we, now we have a corporate structure problem. We didn't have a problem with real estate. It was where the student rentals were a real estate problem. We had 52 of them. Now the, the syndicates were a structural problem with 16 bank accounts, 16 AGMs, 16, you know, so we, there's about the time when Wayne joined us, Wayne Bird, uh, in 2004 and, and he, our CFO, who is our current CFO today, he helped us. We amalgamated all of those assets together and then launched Skyline Apartment Read in 2006. Along that time period is when we were selling off the student rentals and weaning off the, you know, the 80-20 rule where 80% of your time is on 20% of your revenue. That's what, that's what the student rentals were becoming. Mm-hmm. We weaned off of that. And then really, once the REIT took hold and took focus, now we have an infinite platform for bringing in assets and raising capital. So how many units at the time? We had 27 properties, 83 million enterprise value, 27 million worth of equity, 83 million worth of enterprise value. And we had, uh, I think it was, I think it was 19 properties at the time that we amalgamated right. in, in from these 16 syndicates. And then how many, what was the growth like as soon as the REIT got created? Well, it was slow. Like we're still, capital was our constraint. At the time we were still really relatively new. So a lot of trust, a lot of uncles and aunts and friends and family who who trusted, you know, Jay, Marty, Roy, Wayne, you know, and some of the other guys that were starting to come on to the company at the time. It was it was still built out of trust because our track record didn't exist. And I mean, early on, you get called everything from a Ponzi to a cult to a scam to a scheme to whatever. Like we were we were fighting all that as well in our in our local markets and with people. But but the true people who backed us, they were you know they were getting rewarded by distributions. They were getting that. So we just started to continue to talk to people and you know the the hair commercial the shampoo commercial and they tell two friends and then they <laughs> yeah. tell and so on and so on and that's what that's what happened with their entity and now and now all of a sudden then the capital could match the growth requirements that we needed but that's where Barry First National and and a lot of other lenders and a lot of other individuals certainly helped us was we would often put the cart before the horse we would buy the asset do the due diligence commit to closing on it now I got to go raise the capital. So we had, uh, you know, Uncle Maury come and help us uh, with some, with some yeah, closing. You're not the only one. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and as well, I mean, the permits were not, correct me if I'm wrong, but the permits were not as desirable then as they are now. Was that part of what made raising capital difficult that it wasn't as sexy as office, which of course now is having, you know, a lot more trouble than apartment. Oh, for sure. And, and uh, I just saw Jeremy Wedgbury just wave at me there. And uh, so Jeremy was working at Merrill Lynch one of the times. And one of the, one of the apartments that we bought was in Port Elgin. Like, so we're, we're, again, I'm from Walkerton, Ontario. Our part, uh, original founding guys and partners are all small town guys. We, we love and believe in the small towns. We're buying in those markets, even if apartments weren't attractive. Now, small town market apartments were even less attractive. So getting finance guys to come out and help us was even harder to do at the time and, and, and attract the equity to go into those. Let's talk about that because we are at the Southwestern Ontario yes. Real Estate Forum and, and you guys started in Guelph. You're from Walkerton. What was the investment thesis for growing that REIT now that you've got it kind of, now you got it built? I'm showing how simple we are here. I've got this veil of sophistication, but when you stripped it back, secondary tertiary markets. So we love all of those guys. We love hockey. The model is take the paper out, go to the sports section, 
look at junior B, junior C, junior A hockey centers. And those were the centers that we focused in. We knew those centers had hospitals. They had a good employer. They had a decent demographic. They had services. You know, we bought in, in one community called Hensel. It didn't have a grocery store. Well, that was a mistake. So we had to, they had to be just big enough that they had a lot of the essential services and a lot of the um, infrastructure in place that people would live the there and want to be economic function. Yep. And just little pods. And if we could own one of the best multi-res places in town, we were good. A town of 10,000 and you've got a 100-unit building, you only need to rent 100 units. Like, so I'm sure out of, out of 10,000 people, we can find a hundred to live in our buildings. And that was a model that we, we, uh, built on and, and worked because it was, it was pretty simple, pretty straightforward. And, and, and it avoided the, the institutional competition that came from the bigger cities like Toronto and, and Mississauga and that where for the same, you know, hundred thousand dollar year income at the time, you know, we could pay 12, 11, 12, 13 times the multiple, where in Toronto it was 18, 19, 20 times multiple. That made no sense to us, where we wanted to create good yield for our investors that uh, provided for that in these secondary yeah, tertiary you're markets. Buying, you're buying at higher yields, but financing at the same yields, I guess, is the simplest way of putting yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, it was a strategy that was working for us, and we've continued to do it. And, and, it's appropriate we're at the Southwestern Ontario Real Estate Forum and and I'm I'm honored to be the chair of that today because this is like we are the what came out of this community. We are uh, because of these opportunities here and, and I think I think people should be made aware that there are good opportunities to be done and, and had in these other kinds of markets. Well, do you have more institutional competition now as compared to the mid two thousands, maybe not for Hansel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that north of London. Yeah, I know it's it's um, definitely there's more. So, and even as as things have gone, the way the real estate market has gone, we compete against LPs like uh, lo- local local group of dentists, lawyers, professionals, whatever that get together in those communities and maybe want to compete. Certainly in the retail side, we, you know, we we own a single freestanding Shoppers Drug Mart in Listowel. We were bumping up against a group locally that wanted to buy that as well. So we're, we're dealing with not only that there, but there are institutional guys that are looking, okay, you know, there was a time when we were accumulating in Hamilton, people thought we were crazy. Well, guess what's, it's not the GTA anymore. It's the GTAH. <laughs> like as they, as they, as that ripple goes out and expands wider, that becomes competition. So our response to that was we'll sell into that institutional buying equation and take our money and go back into the backwoods where we uh, where we uh, like to operate. Where you more comfortable. Yeah. Well, we're, yeah. and we just avoid a lot of competition. Yeah. That's that was our that's our model. So, so let's go back to the time frame, and we'll keep exploring sort of different mar- parts of the market. So you're now a larger REIT. You've kind of aligning your capital with your opportunities. Just apartments at this point. Yep. When did you start going? Okay, let's let's diversify. And, uh, and out of just you not know, just in southern Ontario. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Great. Great question. So along the way as well. We're dealing with we're dealing with guys in in for example in in this market here a vendor who owned three commercial assets and two apartments that we really really wanted to have, but the caveat to that was you buy all or you buy none. So we in that one syndicate that we had we created one syndicate that owned industrial some a few industrial and commercial buildings and those two apartment buildings that we want. So that was one of the syndicates we put together that translated and moved into the REIT. What happened then later in 2008 when the cooperators put their assets up for sale in Guelph and in Regina and Trois-Rivières and all that stuff, we um, we purchased that and our investors are saying, what are you doing? We're an apartment fund. This is not what we signed up for. And that was, that was along the way. Ones and twos where we'd buy an apartment building with a little 
commercial building that you had to take along with the deal. So we said, okay, let's take um, the decision for us to buy it and put that for the gem of the of the apartment at the time. Let's segregate, segregate that off into two funds and now put the choice back into the investors' hands. Because some of our invest, investors believe that they like commercial real estate better than they like multi-res. You know, it's very management intensive where a 20-year lease on an industrial or retail property, it's, you know, it's pretty straightforward. So when we, we launched then the industrial REIT in 2011, that was five years after, after doing this, now the choice was back in the hands of the investors. So now we had fund number two, Skyline. Skyline, we call it commercial at times. Now we've changed the name to industrial because that's our focus. But Skyline Industrial REIT was the second fund. Retail, we were never really good at retail, but we all see apartment buildings with 70 units on top and a convenience store and a laundromat and something like that in the, in the bottom. So we were managing retail at the time. We got to the size of that where we said, okay, that should be another segment and a third opportunity for our investors to choose where they want to put their capital as opposed to us deciding for them where, the, where their capital goes. So and that's how those three funds in 2006, 11, and roughly around 2012 evolved into the real estate market. And they're both still operating yep. the same way. Yeah, we're about $4.7 billion of assets in the apartment REIT, about $1.6 billion in the retail fund, and about $1.4 billion and growing quite dramatically in the industrial side as well. So, Which funds returned the most? Well, the apartment REIT's been the longest held. You, if you want to talk on time or you want to talk on, you know, which is more more recently. Yeah, more recently. So yeah. you do a side-by-side kind yeah, of comparison. Yeah, the retail fund has the highest yield because we pay the least for that part of income. But we're not, we're not fashion. We're not in closed malls. We're essential services. We're grocery and pharma anchored quick service restaurants. So I believe that those are as integral to a small community as the apartment building is. So those people live there. They need to shop. They need to buy their groceries. They need to get their, go to the pharmacy. They need to get their hair cut. They need to do those kind of things in their community. So it's the higher, highest yielding fund out of the three. Industrial, as we all know in the marketplace, has, has really seen a cap rate compression as just in time to just in case storage and things like that have, have come on. We've seen a real cap rate compression and increase. So most recently, we've seen a real uh, real increase in the overall return on our industrial fund and apartments uh, doing the same thing. We can't keep up with the immigration. So that just creates demand. Interest rates are holding people longer in the apartments because they can't afford to buy. It's just creating demand in that. Rents are going up dramatically and faster than than new new stock can be built. And, uh, and it's just creating a great opportunity for us, albeit at the expense of higher rents for, for our tenants. Not to simplify it too much, mm-hmm. but are all three of your funds following the junior hockey strategy across the, <laughs> yeah. across the country? I'm getting outside of the, yeah. just like focusing on geography. Yeah. So the industrial fund is the one that deviates a little bit from that. But, you know, again, those assets in those secondary and tertiary markets are now looking quite shiny. We're seeing, you know, we're seeing where Stratford is a big automotive turning into automotive. Like, so those were places where we wouldn't think to do industrial before. Those are, you know, kinds of markets that are attracting our eyeballs and, and we think opportunity. But, but for the most part, we modeled our industrial over logistics. We want to be on major highways, major routes. We don't want, you know, we want to be places where yeah. they're going to be able to, to truck in and out and stuff. So, so we do have some, we had a Toronto portfolio, but we sold that again with this cap rate compression opportunity to take the money, move it from a, a 500,000 square foot multi-multi-tenant building into a, a Canadian tire one tenant building is a lot, is a lot better strategy for us. Long-term leases, better bankable, 
nationally recognized brand. So that that makes it better than Ma and Pa Industrial Multi Bay. For the apartment assets. and retail, is there geographies you're not going, you're not comfortable in? Like, I know you do have some Alberta presence. There's, is that just opportunistic? Let's say for yeah. the, for those two. Yeah, no, we're we're looking coast to coast for all all asset classes now for all three of our funds. The Retail still follows that model. Uh, a shopper's drug mart in Toronto can, is still a four cap, and a shopper's drug mart in Hanover is a you know is a five and three quarter or a six or you know. Uh, it is, yeah. to, to me, it's the same covenant. It makes no sense why it wouldn't be valued the same, recognized the same. Like I feel there's a reckoning or a homogenization of yields era of, of cap rates has to come just because of that. Why would an apartment building be a four cap in that town, but a, a grocery anchored or a pharmacy anchored plaza not be the same? I just don't understand why that is. And that's what we're hoping, uh, hoping for and, and continuing to buy better yielding products in those secondary tertiary markets as opposed to competing in the red ocean of Toronto or in the red ocean of, of the major <laughs> cities. We, we want to be in the, the blue zones. Where everything's a trophy <laughs> asset and you kind of ignore yield requirements. Yeah, so, well, uh, that's, yeah, 100%. We, we just want to, we just play really an avoidance strategy is what that comes down to. <laughs> and how happy are you that you don't have any office exposure? Ecstatic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, uh, you know, I heard Ray talk today about having to come up with soda, soda machines and, and that to entice people to come to work. I just say, I just think like, if you want to come back to work, keep your job, you know, you, you have to come yeah. to work. Like that's, it, it's, it, I don't know, this, this is going to change. It's going to go away. As you guys know, real estate is a relationship driven business. And that goes down to every part of the company of running things. You need to be rubbing shoulders, talking and communicating to each other. And you can't do that when people are, are in their basement or in their apartment or whatever at home doing uh, doing their work from there. It just it just has to come back. But but it has caused office to suffer and to struggle. So we're happy that we're not in that. We were never we were never huge in that either. The cooperatives was an exception, but I, I mean, cooperatives is the only company when I was 16 that would insure me on my motorcycle. So I, I, I'm, I was near and dear to them when that came you, available. You owed them. Yeah, we owed them, yeah. exactly, to be their landlord. Yeah. So, but they, you know, that was a, they were a great tenant and it was a long-term lease and I knew an insurance company was going to be in business. They, uh, yeah. they have great lobbyists to keep them, <laughs> keep them going well. So. A lot of natural disasters keep them going. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So what is your working office policy? I assume that you would be instrumental in determining that. Do you have a set policy? Because we're, we're in a bit of a moment of flux where people mm-hmm. are starting to, you know, use more of a cattle prod to get people back into the office. Mm-hmm. So what's your vision on that? Well, I mean, we have different aspects and components of the business as well. I mean, when COVID was going on, we were an essential business. We were coming into work every day. And, and like a lot of the executive team, we were there elbow to elbow in the boardroom. How are we going to navigate this and work our way through it? There were certain aspects of the business that could work off-site. But again, I think if you want to, you know, just human nature, if you want to advance in the company and you want to be an integral part of it, you're going to be part of the conversation. You're going to have to be there. And they're going to realize that. A lot of people are going to realize that on their own. But in the meantime, we're encouraging people to come back. But it's, we're still, still, it's still sensitive times. And, and, you know, we have to undo what I consider a bad habit. And it takes time <laughs> to undo habits. And, and this, we got to so get this back, back to the gym. Long, yeah. long said it's, it's Costco at two o'clock on a Tuesday, right? Like that's, yeah. that's an attractive opportunity to yeah. save myself the headache of a Saturday morning Costco run. Yeah. Well, and, and that just, that, that is not why you work from home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Like that's not the reason it's, it's to work. And yeah. so if that's happening, I think that 
we're going to be better off when things get back. How many to employees at Skyline? We're approximately a thousand employees. If when you count, we've got a hotel that we uh, that we manage. It's about a hundred full time, part time staff, and then we've got a lot because we're a big big component of our business is apartment. We have a lot of on site staff. There are about five hundred and fifty of employees in this, so we've got about two hundred and fifty three hundred office staff right. scattered through our. Head offices in Guelph, but we have satellite offices because we are across Canada. It's a long way from um, getting kicked out of your dad's place. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My dad hates it when I say that, but I felt like that at the time, and I was pissed off at the time. But you know what? It was in hindsight, well, it was the it. best thing that he happened. helped you acquire 100%, the asset. He wasn't throwing you out on your own. It makes end. more drama yeah. if I say he kicked. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever, do you ever <laughs> sit back and reflect though? Like just go like, geez, like t- totally quite coincidence. Like we, yeah. we have we have guests like yourself on regularly, and often it is you know, father in the business or uncle yep. in the business or, yep. you know, I started off and I saw this vision yep. and I grew towards it. You yep. just, you kind of walked bass backwards into this. Yeah, we did. We for sure did. Like, I mean, our dad, sure, our dad helped us, but our whole upbringing, you know, our mother was shaped who we were too. So there's, it's a whole bunch of things. Lots of having these individual investors, what a resource of people to talk to. Like when we expanded in Timmins, I remember sitting down with an investor and, and going through, would you want to be a part of this? It's a, it's a long way away. It's for us, it's our furthest market now. And, you know, to have the insight for an investor say, okay, let's run through analysis. What's the possibility of loss? And what do you, all this kind of stuff. And then, well, I don't know why you wouldn't do it. And we're, oh, I'm okay. Well, then if, <laughs> if our investors are behind us, then let's go. So having that resource and and lots of investors have given us good advice and bad advice we just pick the stuff we want to we want to listen yeah. to but it's but it's been very helpful and there's been so many people along the way that have helped us as we talked about earlier with Barry and Maury yeah, and all that so yeah well, what point when you were buying the Guelph student houses did you realize hey this could be a career like when did you and your brother realize it's no longer about just like what's get, the number yeah it's, oh, it's uh, no longer about yeah. just get another case of beer a week right or a month like it's this is this is hey this we could make a living off this yeah we're still we're still figuring that out um, and we're making a living at it but I'm still pursuing my NHL career um, yeah. at 52 yeah. so we we still have of uh, you're gonna buy the Ottawa Senators is that what no I want to play I want to play you know? but well, uh, buy them you can yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah no it's yeah I, I I don't know when that switched. To be honest with you, it was just it just kind of evolved. Like I'm going to Guelph for with a, for a biological science degree. I don't know what that has to do with real estate. So it, you know, I'm, it just kind of evolved over time. When we started getting the syndicates, we started getting to it. We we I think we had a goal if we hit could hit 800 units, then we could we were there. We were there. Well, did you did you graduate with more than one unit in the portfolio by the time you go to school? Um, ninety four. Yeah. Well, houses. Yeah, we had. Yeah, 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 yeah. We had we had maybe six or seven houses at the time. Uh, by the time we graduated, but then an, another friend who again is a board member today and and who's my centerman when we play hockey. Uh-huh. He uh, Jeff Newman. He told Marty and I, say, "Why don't you guys get your real estate license?" So we we got a real estate license. What a what an amazing door into opportunities and you know some years our commissions like 80% of our commissions we made selling to ourselves so and then we used that to kick back into the to buying it and never allocated any for taxes but that was another problem we had dealt with in the <laughs> learn spring learn about that yeah. learn about that too so I mean I'm uh, peeling back the uh, curtain on on all the but it's the honesty and the you know the experience I mean you're having fun right like you're doing it because you enjoy it 100% and if it wasn't fun you weren't enjoying it, you wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. I think that's that's yeah. the real and, takeaway. And, and some of it wasn't always fun, but it was good stress. It was I think it was good stress and helped us build fundamentally a better company. We all know we learn more from our mistakes than we do from our successes. And and it's been, you know, 
oops, that's a pitfall. Let's close that door. Oops, that doesn't work. Let's close that door. And, and, and it helped us get better and better throughout the years as, we, as we've evolved. Well, in problem solving, you never feel your brain so much engaged as when you're trying to solve a significant uh, problem. Yep. It's uh, all neurons firing in the same mm-hmm, direction. Yeah. So. <laughs> and the beauty of having partners that were that, like I've often said that if it was, if it was my company alone that, that I had started, I wouldn't have... 10%, I wouldn't have 5% of what we have today. It's the strength in numbers. You come to work feeling like crap one day or feeling iffy about this deal. You got two or three other guys saying, hey, no, no, this is good. Like we, or I found this or I found that or, or somebody to balance off of to, to say, yeah, maybe we shouldn't do that deal or, or, or things like that. So having, having the strength of numbers, the collaboration, I think has been one of the keys, one of the major keys to our success as well. Accepting you don't know <clears throat> what you don't know is obviously integral. We're running out of time, Jason. So sure. I'm sensitive. Let's, well, I, guess, I guess we did mention uh, he is chairing today. So he's had a lot of yeah, obligations I, around I, this I conference, not just talking to us. Um, <laughs> let's, just, let's just do a couple of minutes on future. So I mean, expanding into other countries, other asset classes, you mentioned yeah. the hotel. I yeah. mean, what, 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 what kind of things are on the horizon? Well, I didn't even talk about our fourth fund, which was the, the Skyline Clean Energy Fund. So next to taxes, one of our biggest expenses on all our properties are utilities. So back when the MicroFit and the FIT program rolled out in 2010, we started putting uh, systems on our roofs and much to the chagrin of people saying, well, that's government funded and all that stuff. As soon as they saw what that contributed to the bottom line, our investors all of a sudden liked it. Early FIT was so profitable. <laughs> Very, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and MicroFit. So we had those yeah. on our buildings and we did that. And then as the, as the program evolved, we said like, there's institutional size and grade assets that we can do here and they're tangible. They fit our mandate. And there's something that, you know, energy demand is a huge thing. That comes hand in hand. You build another building, it uses more energy. Where does it come from? And, you know, the infrastructure is, is, is struggling and to keep up with that. So produce the energy where the energy is being consumed. Clean Energy Fund has, has come along. And, and we got $300 million worth of assets in that fund between solar and uh, renewable biogas facilities. We're one of the biggest biogas producers now in, in Canada with that fund. And we're going to continue to see that, uh, see that grow. So that's our fourth fund. Going forward, we dabble in a lot of things. And admittedly, a lot of those things don't work out. But the ones that do and that has, has runway and opportunity to become institutionalized and, and become big enough that we can take investments. Scalable. Scalable. That's what's going to be fun number five. We learned the hard way with our hotel that we built in 2005. There was a lot of years, a lot of pain, a lot of struggle, but we learned from that. And, and since then, we've acquired a couple other properties. And, you know, maybe that turns into something that one day, maybe it doesn't. If not, we're going to have fun with that. Jason, we, we are out of time. I can practically hear your name being shouted in the room next door to come uh, speak or present or do something. But thanks for making time for us. Thanks to Real Estate Forums, of course, for putting together this entire event and as always hosting us at them. Thanks First National for powering the podcast. But once again, Jason, thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.